Doc Fermento Discovers the World Episode 65, featuring Dr. Josh Lamaro. Paleo Osteo. First this message. Go to KOYONO.com and buy minimalist lifestyle accessories. Use coupon code SUSHI15 for 15% off your entire order. We at Doc Fermento HQ hope like hell you love the show. You good? Yeah, I got it. Okay, can you hear me good? I can hear you. Okay, you sound good too. Wow, we got a good connection. Nice. Yeah, I really struggled when I had um, Jamie Scott on. I listened to that one. Yeah. I listened to that one. Yeah. It wasn't noticeable from this end, but yeah, I heard you fluffing around at the start. Yeah, it ended up working out. Yeah. Hey, so um, what am I to call you? I only know you as Paleo Osteo. You can call me Josh, Brian. Josh, okay. <laughs> let's, uh, well, let's just get right to the basics here. Please tell me, what is an osteopath? All right, where do you start? I yeah, mean, yeah, I know. Let's start, yeah. let's start boring and just get warmed up here. This kind of reminds me of my uh, interview before I went into osteo school. It's like, tell me, Josh, what is an osteopath? <laughs> yeah, right. So, what? okay, what did you think it was, and what did you find out it is, or what does it mean to you? You know, don't give me the textbook. We all have Wikipedia. That's true. Uh, an osteopath to me is essentially, um, essentially a medical professional, but instead of looking at the body in terms of being pharmaceutically challenged, I guess we're looking for uh, health within the body and trying not to find disease because um, I guess one of the oldest quotes from A.T. Steele, the founder of osteopathy, is, you know, anyone can find disease. The trick is to find health. Um, so people mainly come to us for musculoskeletal complaints, I suppose, but um, I think our training far exceeds just looking at, at the structure and function um, from a structural perspective or looking at, you know, back pain or neck pain or a sore hand or headaches. Um, or oftentimes when people do come to you complaining of that, that kind of thing, you find something much deeper. So I, I guess it's a bit of a, a general health guy, if you like. It's a okay. hard thing to explain. Okay. And in Australia, is this um, the equivalent of an MD? Like are you a primary care physician? We are a primary care physician in Australia, yeah. There's no referral required to come see an osteopath in Australia. That's cool. I like this whole philosophy of, like, the body as a barometer. <laughs> like, yeah, my shoulder's yeah. broke, but, you know, it hurts, but maybe it's not the shoulder. It's probably... What else is going on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> so it appealed to me when I was a youngster. Um, I, I played hockey or ice hockey um, since I was a kid, and... And I had a coach one time at the, the state level who was, uh, I think he was like a Chinese-trained um, therapist. And I went to him with a really sore wrist at the end of a, a training camp. And he was like, okay, let me have a look at your arm. And he ended up working a lot with my elbow. And uh, it was like, it was fucking painful. Um, <laughs> he was pushing into my elbow real hard and it was referring pain everywhere. And I'm pretty sure I had tears in my eyes. But um, at the end, he said, okay, move your wrist now. And... I moved my wrist and the pain was completely gone. Like it was like it had never been sore. And I was like, wow, this guy's like a magician, you know, right, what's right. going on? Here? And, um, he said, oh, well, this is just a holistic way of looking at the body. 
and he explained to me, you know, which I had no idea at the time, but all the muscles that control the wrist um, actually start up here in the elbow. So this is where we're going to work because I've been doing work all day while you've been on the ice. And I was like, okay, this is cool. What did you call that again? And he said, um, uh, holism or a holistic way of looking at the body. And he said, osteopaths are the most famous for it. And it was then, I think I was 16, I was like, right, i got to do this. <laughs> this, is the, this is the job wow. for me. So. Wow, really, from when you were 16? That's right, that's right. Uh, give me one tick, Brian. Someone yep. just come to the door. No one sec. Yep. Sorry about that. There's some uh, religious door knockers. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I had to send them away. We should have brought them in. And ju- <laughs> we should have brought them in and just changed the whole conversation. Oh, it would have changed, all right. <laughs> <laughs> My friend Joe had a couple um, come around the other day, and, and I was saying, "Now, Joe, this here is the user manual for life." You know, handing him a Bible, and his response was, "Bought a new washing machine the other day." Came with a manual, didn't need it. I could figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I weren't too happy about that, but yeah, life's life can be pretty self-explanatory. I think. I think you I need think. a little nature exposure, though. Yeah, that's right. Or you get lost in the weeds of modern civilization. <laughs> Profound. <clears throat> so, what, what? Where were we? I don't know. Anatomy. Um, oh, no. okay. Um, that's right. I was talking about the holi- uh, holism. That's right. I was talking about the coach. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's what led me into it. it. It made a lot of sense to me that the body's capable of self repair if you give it the right surroundings and the right environment and the right structural integrity. It's basically perfect. So that's uh, that was my start. But yeah, anyway, yeah. and then you went straight into this after high school. Yeah, yeah. I had a year where my application for osteo school was late by day, and so they wouldn't they wouldn't accept it. So I went off and did a. I went up to the local university where I live now, and I said, "Look, I'm going to be doing this next year. What can you give me that will help me get some um, some background for this uh, this osteopathic course?" Mm-hmm. And they put me in a general science course, which I just found I just found so boring because there was no application. Yeah, I didn't see the application and. Um, so that was a waste of a year, but after that, when I got into osteo, you know, everything was, was really apparent. It was nice. It was a cool course. Um, a lot of like-minded people, quite a close knit sort of university course. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it was excellent. You know, it was excellent. How long have you been an osteopath? Uh, I've been practicing 10 years now, Wow, which has gone kind of quickly. It doesn't seem like 10 years when you write it on paper looks like a long time, but, um, I guess it goes in a flash, and you're always learning, so it doesn't seem like it's been a chore. <laughs> and so, what's your practice like today? Who do you have on staff? What do you guys do? What do you specialize in? What do you see a lot yeah. of? All that. Well, when I moved back up here, I um, I worked for another practice as an associate, um, and that was cool. That's just kind of you know your first year out of university, putting this stuff into practice and getting to know how it all works on a clinical level. Um, After which time I I took some time off and went overseas. And when I came back, uh, a naturopath who was working in that particular clinic had moved out and bought her own place. And um, she was handing me to come on board over at her clinic. And I was a little bit, you know, nervous, all going out on my own, not working for somebody else. Um, Is it too soon? And she put me in contact with another guy who wanted to share 
share a room. He was another osteopath. And so I met up with him and we'd sort of worked together ever since, um, just sharing the costs of a building and whatnot. Um, now he's actually moved to Hong Kong uh, for a job with his wife. Uh, for his wife, she's a speech pathologist. And so I've basically taken over the clinic as a whole and we have three osteopaths there and a naturopath who comes on a day a week. And the focus is still mainly in Australia, I guess, musculoskeletal complaints are the main reasons that people seek out osteopaths. Um, however, with, you know, the stuff um, that I write on Twitter nowadays, which is how I met you, um, people are starting to seek us out for more dietary intervention and, and general lifestyle intervention as well, which has been really cool. So like I was saying at the start, an osteopath is anything you want them to be really because the training is so so broad and vast that you can cover a wide range of complaints or mm-hmm. uh, questions. So um, whilst the majority is musculoskeletal, we have a couple of classes through the clinic um, as well, like a, a, a barefoot running and movement class and a developmental kinesiology-based yoga class for stability training. Um, so, yeah, it's starting to branch out and become quite cool. Yeah, that and, is cool. Um, it's really a whole-body approach, mobility. Yeah, we just, yeah. We're trying to integrate a lot of um, a lot of things, I guess, and trying to trying to put it all together for a one stop shop, if you like. Hmm. Hmm. I was uh, became recently aware. Well, I don't know, a year ago or so, I was in, took some kettlebell classes, and yeah, uh, I <clears throat> my instructor kept talking about fascia, and I'm like, well. This guy's very Eastern, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah. "What is that? Uh, is this just some woo?" He's like, "No, it's a real thing." And I'm like, "How come I've <laughs> never even heard the term?" He's like, "Don't worry, no one has. Just, just trust yeah. me." <laughs> yeah, man. Like, it's a powerful part of the body. Um, I've had it explained to me that if you were somehow able to dissolve every part of the body—skin, muscle, bone. Um, nerves, arteries, veins, if you're able to dissolve all of that but leave the fascia, you'd have a ghost, ghostly-like figure of yourself still standing there. So it's all-encompassing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when you're an embryo um, in the womb, essentially you're a small bag of fascia. And it's not until the embryo starts invaginating and growing out that it drags its fascia with it in all directions. So... Um, you know, it creates all the all the channels through which your veins, arteries, and nerves travel, um, and it's hugely involved in cellular signaling and um, transference of, of nerve signals. So when you work with a kettlebell, for example, you know, some of those movements are so compound, there's, there's so many different movements all thrown together. And I think it's the fascial stiffness um, or being able to recruit that fascia into a, a stiff, rigid um, framework that allows you to perform some of those motions. Mm-hmm. So, um, my colleague who I was speaking about before, mm-hmm. um, we, we ran the clinic together. He ran a kettlebell class for a long, long time, and he's he's worked with um, the world champion kettlebell guys from Russia. Um, he says that their ability to turn from somebody really soft and, and pliable and um, and stretchy, I guess, instantly into something that's very, very stiff and tight and, you know, able to throw something that's 45 kilos above their head yeah. repeatedly for 100 repetitions, it's all to do with the way that they can recruit fascia. Huh. 
So it's quite an amazing structure, really, and you could say that osteopaths are a little bit obsessed with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, just in that it encompasses every other structure in the body, and I guess osteopaths would say traditionally, if you were to speak to someone in the medical field, you'd say, "What's what's the framework of the body?" They'd say the skeleton. But an osteopath would say it's actually the fascia because no joint in the body, no joint, no two joint surfaces actually touch. They're all suspended, and so we have fluid in the middle. The joint surface doesn't rest straight on top of the next bone. It's actually suspended through a joint capsule, which is essentially a thickening or a specialized fascia. It's amazing. So it's it's without, all new without, to me. And, yeah, um, well... You had just sent me this link before we got on the air here of uh, a man named A.T. Still. Ooh. He's the... Uh, what is he? He's like the founder of... Yeah, that's right. Oste- osteop... What are you... What am I calling it? Uh, Osteopathy? Yeah. Osteopathy, yeah. And then I I just had, I didn't even have a chance to read it, but I just scrolled down and I saw a little quote here about fascia. Yeah. And he he says that he knows of no part of the body that equals the fascia as a hunting ground. He says he believes that more rich golden nuggets, more rich golden thoughts will appear to the mind's eye as the study of fascia is pursued than any other division of the body. That's mm. that's a big bold statement, you know. And it I just, is, but I, I, I find it amazing that I've never even heard. I'm forty years old. It's not like I've been in medical school or anything, but I've never even heard the term before. Yeah, man. I mean, connective tissue is the other um, description of the fascia. But I guess when you open an anatomy book, they try and show you that hey, this muscle starts here and ends here. But right. in reality, to do that dissection in in the anatomy book that they've taken a photo of, it, it requires hours and hours worth of pulling fascia off that muscle to even expose it. So I remember in third year at university, you know, dissecting this leg, and I'm like, where the fuck are the glute muscles? Look, I'm just trying, I'm digging through all this white stuff, and I'm pulling this white stuff off, and I'm going, it, it must be in here somewhere, this stuff that we're supposed to show. And it kind of dawned on me, it's like, I'm pulling all this white stuff off, that white stuff has to have a purpose. Like, Right, right. Why is it around fucking everything in this body? You know? Yeah, yeah. And so it really is what makes one muscle talk to the next in order for you to walk. I mean, to think of the body in the old way of looking at anatomy in that, okay, the biceps flexes the elbow and supinates the hand, sure, but your brain doesn't compute all this stuff in sequence. It doesn't think, right, I'm going to throw this baseball across the, across the street First, I have to activate this muscle, then the next, then the next, then the next. You know, that thought happens in a split second. And I guess you mm-hmm. can think that the fascia is like a interconnected web. And so those neural signals are basically spreading out across that web to activate all these, all these muscles in sequence, but without having to think of a sequence, if you like. Yeah. That probably wasn't articulated very well, but it binds everything together essentially right. it's probably the most important part of of the body because without it we wouldn't have anything and i've heard um, the term where they say fascia turns over i'm guessing yeah. what they mean is that it's like regenerative or something that, but that's it needs right. to be used yes so um have you ever seen somebody who perhaps works at a desk um for a job and they have a, a large hump on the base of the neck it's called a dowager's hump. Yep. Um, it looks like a camel hump, like right on the base of the neck. 
essentially all that is is a deposition of fat and fascia through one part of the body that is stagnant. So they have uh, eight kilos worth of skull and head sitting on top of this neck that's always poking out in front looking at a computer. So there's an extreme amount of leverage at the base of the neck. And as a response, and I want to get into the tooth stuff you are tweeting about the other day, but as a response to that oppositional force or that strain in the area, the body says, right, we have to lay down more thick fascia in this area because it's an area of constant strain. So... That's one example of how it's regenerative, but it's also um, determined by your everyday, um, the things that you do every day. Right, like repetitive motions or repetitive non-motion. That's right, yeah. When I first thought or kind of discovered the whole idea of posture and what it means, I noticed watching TV shows, uh, if they ever interviewed an author, I saw Stephen King on a show. And then, and then another famous author, I mean, he's wildly famous and his mind is slipping, um, his name is slipping my mind, but he's a science fiction writer. Right. But anyways, both of them, their heads projected way too far forward. Yeah. And they looked horrible. And they both look just like they, their bodies are crap. But yeah. I really, it was so pronounced that the, how far forward their heads stuck. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's you're watching adaptation to um, movement or non-movement, as you said. Um, so these people are becoming hyper-specialized to what they do the most of, which is sitting in front of a computer screen. <laughs> so their body has developed this stability to allow them to do that, and it may not be functionally great for what we expect of the human body. Yeah, you know, to be able to perform a wide variety of tasks with ease. But um, you know, they've essentially evolved to what they do best. <laughs> yeah, so so that layering upon of the fascia enables them to sit there for eight hours. <laughs> yeah, so it, it actually makes them efficient at it where they, they don't need to use muscles to hold that head on anymore because they've laid down so much thick fascia and connective tissue, which is almost um, calcified yeah. in a lot of times. Um, yeah, a lot of times that's actually calcified and becomes so thick and hard that it's almost unchangeable through manual therapy, and that's... That's something that we run into a lot with yeah. modern lifestyle, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Trying to through, uh, I often say to people, I've got half an hour every week or every two weeks that you come in versus eight hours a day of doing the exact opposite. <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah, I notice, I always make fun of, um, you know, I follow a lot of paleo people, paleo authors and stuff, and every time they write a book, they always complain about fatigue. Yeah. Even, even adrenal fatigue, and I always make fun of them. Like, what the hell is so hard about writing a book? Why is this? Why is this so <laughs> yeah. draining? If you're a healthy, fit person, well, I guess it's because they're not doing something healthy and fit. <laughs> yeah, they're doing yeah. a non-activity <laughs> nearly. Yeah, and and if you go back to that page that I just sent you before, um, he talks a lot about uh, stagnancy in the body and fluid dynamics. So when osteopathy first started, it was it was based around um, A.T. Stills. Uh, he was he was a physician beforehand, and he was he was sort of over it. He had mm-hmm. uh, three sons who got um, uh, meningitis, and they died. Wow! And he was unhappy with the way that um, the Western medical model at the time, and this is the early 1800s, with the way that it managed uh, the condition, which was lie in bed, don't move. 
um, you know, take it easy. He thinks that that actually accelerated the condition because of um, stagnancy. There's no motility of fluid in and out of the brain. So um, I guess one of his early principles is that without movement, there's disease. And and disease can be anything, anything that's untoward or away from what we perceive as health. So, you know, this is why people get fatigued. There's no transference of fluid to and from the brain, um, which is reliant on movement and stretching and contraction of fascia. Yeah, yeah. And so A.T. still, I didn't really look at the dates. So he predates predates, um, evolution and Darwin. When was it? I'm going to just check that out. I'm pretty sure and it then, was 18. And if so, it's kind of interesting because it, a lot of this is very evolutionary-minded. Yeah. You know, referring to nature and movement and all these things. So it's really, I mean, I'm really fascinated. I'm going to really, really dive into this. I think it's um, part of why, uh, since I was a kid, I always had this um, inkling that what we now know as um, paleo and evolutionary medicine, I always had this inkling that it was right, you know? I think I've been kind of obsessed with nature since I was a kid uh, and just thinking, wow, this is just crazy the way all this stuff has has come about. And surely without thought or without man-made thought, we must have what's actually right, (laughs) you know? Because a thought is only a product of what you've experienced prior. So if we have a thought that medicine is what must cure disease, it's too new to be right, you know. So nature is really the the dictator. That's and right. It's always been my thought since I was a kid, and I think when I when I found out about osteopathy after I had Ian treat my arm that time, I was reading it. I was just like, wow, this is just everything I've always thought. It, it's so perfect, you know. It's it's a model that's just perfect. Yeah, um, I love it. It reminds me of um, when I read Anti Fragile by Taleb, and you know he yeah, talks he talks yeah, that. yeah he talks a bit about um, you know the natural fallacy. Um, this is this idea that, you know, just because something's natural, it's not necessarily better. But he's like, yeah. but, but that being said, he's like, you cannot out-statistic nature. It's got you beat. Exactly. Yeah. So you yeah. better pay attention to it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one thing that we can't, we can't change. I mean, it's the one thing that humans have developed the ability to do is change our environment. But I think ever since we've been doing that, things seem to have gone wrong. <laughs> Yeah. So, unlike every other creature on the planet that has to adapt to its environment, we have the power to change ours, but with that power comes great responsibility, as I would say. So, you know, I think we've got to be careful. Yeah, yeah, even I was I was a bit on a Twitter rampage today, and... Yeah, That's some, unlike you. <laughs> and someone had said, yeah, with the way we've changed the world, it's as if we we're not even properly evolving now, we're... We're just becoming weaker, and we're just yeah. able to live longer, but not thrive as a species. No, no, no that's there right. are a lot of us, though. So, I mean, that's a pretty broad, ridiculous statement. But I know yeah. there's, I know there's cultures and movements of excellent health out there. For sure, for sure. Hey, you know, let's let's talk about that dentistry stuff. I was bloviating about <laughs> the other day. Yeah. And um, I said that I was fascinated by this oppositional force, which you just mentioned, and you're like, you're, wait, you basically, you said to me, everything you're tweeting is basically osteopathy. Yeah, well, um, 
I guess it's like anything, and I often use when clients ask me, because one of my first things I ask if people have neck pain or headache or even shoulder pain is, are you missing any teeth? Because um, even in adulthood, you know, there's a, I'm not sure who you were speaking to the other day, but there's a, a bit of a foundational law that the tooth needs to um, have oppositional force, so it needs to occlude onto something at the right time. That's right. So the, the top molar and the bottom molar should touch when the mouth is closed. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have one tooth missing, let's say, in the top jaw, the want for the body, much like that fascial change we were talking about before, is to grow the, the bottom molar taller to look for that oppositional force. Right. So in, in growing that molar taller, you get a change in skull architecture um, or you get an imbalance. So you've already got one imbalance from having the tooth out without having it replaced, and then you get a, yeah, a long tooth, if you like, uh, growing, looking for opposition, oppositional force. So you can throw the entire temporomandibular joint out of whack. Yeah, yeah. And um, you'll often find people who've, who are missing several teeth and they complain of a clicky jaw and a headache on the same side. Yeah, or TMJ. But TMJ and the mm-hmm. way that the neural in, um, innovation of the TMJ coming from C1. So, you know, you get a facilitation at C1 segment of the neck and you might get hypertrophy of the muscle, muscle tone there and, I mean, the sequence just goes on and on and on. It's you can't absolutely have... amazing, the oral structure, the whole facial structure. I mean, from what I've been reading and learning lately, it's just so fascinating to me. And I think it's just so amazingly powerful to to get a hold of this with your chil- with children. Yeah. Because this, yeah. this affects the shape of their head, which affects the quality of your life. And, and another thing, I guess, um, talking about that is the use of, uh, or we call them a dummy here, but a pacifier. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess the baby's mouth is used to having a nipple in it up until a certain age. But right. um, if your wife breastfed, you know that when the, when the baby has come off the nipple, the nipple is flat. So yeah. the shape of the mouth on the nipple actually flattens it out. Now, if you're using a pacifier, it's made out of hard plastic, um, and that baby's trying to squeeze with its tongue that hard plastic into the hard palate, the roof of the mouth. Every time it's squeezing that and remembering it's not a fully formed skeleton yet, it's still essentially a fascial model of what the skull's going to be. Yeah. So it's, it's soft. Um, and you will remember from your baby, if you push on the front of its head, there's a soft triangular shape here where sure. you can almost feel the frame. So the same thing is true of the hard palate. And you're sticking a, a dummy or a pacifier in that kid's mouth all night, and it's squeezing on it, thinking it's a nipple, and pushing it into the roof of the mouth. What actually occurs is you get a um, a stretching of the hard palate. It becomes very high and very narrow. Right. Yeah. Um, if you've read um, uh, Western Price's books, the palate really should be uh, low and broad. Right. Because as we're pushing the palate up with the pacifier, you're actually pushing the palate up to being uh, an occlusive structure behind the nasal passage. And so these sorts of things result in a narrow facial structure, crowded teeth at the front, inability to occlude and get oppositional force, and all the way down the chain you get changes in skull architecture. Uh, And breathing as well, which is, of course, incredibly important for stability and and nourishment of tissues. Yeah, yeah. The dentist I was talking to was uh, Dr. Boyd (laughs) in Chicago, and um, his he spoke at AHS, and he just has a hypothesis, and he he says that very explicitly in the interview I did with him. That it's just the hypothesis that he's working on. That 
sleep apnea, ADD, and he named six other problems that are common in children these days. And he relates them all as um, sleep disorders. Yeah. Also posture and nasal breathing disorders. And I think it's really profound because it doesn't require any medical intervention. If it's no. caught early enough, you just retrain how to sit, how to breathe, and how to keep your lips together, teeth together, and tongue on the roof of your mouth. I mean, yep. how damn well, simple is this? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, for the large portion of uh, the time humans have been on the planet, it's probably how it's been. You know? You open sure. your mouth when you need to breathe heavily or breathe more, like after a heavy sprint or something right, like sure. that, to, to potentiate the amount of oxygen to your tissues. But for the most part, when we had a broad facial structure and large flared nostrils, Breathing was easy. So, yeah, yeah. That's all yeah. interventions like, you know, food that doesn't create an oppositional force. Like you're not chomping on a bone or a hard piece of meat or trying to open a shell or something like that. These things are all training the jaw to be strong and wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think nowadays, you know, the kid grows teeth. All right, we're going to give him some food, but I'm going to puree that first. That's the, <laughs> exa- that was the next thing I was going to talk about. Uh, one of the... Yeah. the one of the bad things uh, that um, Dr. Boyd had mentioned is pureed foods, soft liquid foods as first foods and how how harmful they are. He did mention that at one time, um, super nutrient foods were often pre-chewed by mother, say a liver, yeah. and, and spit yeah. into the baby's mouth. But they immediately went on hard foods as, as soon as they were able. And it yeah. stops that sucking reflex. It changes the tongue uh, and what the tongue's job is in the mouth. And it's just, oh, it's so fascinating and awesome. I just love the subject. I don't yeah. know how many people are going to follow suit with me and dive into it on their own, but I hope they do. Well, you know, it's, it took for me to go to a conference maybe five years ago. Um, it was a, a posture conference, and the keynote speaker was a holistic dentist. And um, it, that's what really opened my eyes to it as well, um, is, she was talking about all this sort of stuff and saying, look, the shape of the teeth from a young age determines how this posture is going to be. The teeth are a sensory organ by definition, you know? Yeah. They, they want to include, they want to feel what's happening so that they can, uh, your gut can almost preempt what's coming. Um, you know, it's it's an incredible thing. And she had an example that we all remember the, the goofy kid at school with the buck teeth and the glasses who just looked terrible posturally and was crap mm-hmm. at sport and all well, it's not just that goofy kids are crap at sport. His entire demeanor was dictated by his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Which you could probably yeah. have what his parents fed him when he was a kid or mm-hmm. how much he had a fire in his mouth or, you know. it's um, So, yeah, the descending postural patterns from poor teeth are incredible. Um, an overbite, for example, will result in a forward-projected head. <laughs> it's just um, you could go on and on. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I loved what you just said that uh, the teeth are a sensory organ. I think that's pretty profound. Mm. Well, I guess uh, it's written in a lot of books that it's a um, it's the visceral skeleton, meaning it, it's the end of your digestive tract. Um, but it, yeah, it's a it's a visceral skeleton, not a structural skeleton mm-hmm. as such. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people. I've always, I, what started all this for me was actually when I was a kid, was my dad kept getting root canals. 
And he, yeah, and they always coincided with colds and sickness. It seemed like to me, I always noticed a mm. pattern. And he was always on antibiotics. He was always talking about his antibiotics. And then soon after, he'd have a root canal. And I was like, yep. man, I, I'm an 8 or 10 or whatever. I'm like, there's, there must be a connection here. I'm like, this can't just, this has to be connected somehow. And the more I read about it, it's like, sure enough, this is all absolutely connected. And um, yeah. I've actually had a few people that were going to get um, root canals opted to have the tooth removed. And I encourage them to get a bridge. <laughs> Me, the dentist, giving advice, right? <laughs> and they're like, why do I need the bridge? I'm like, oh my God, you got to keep that space there. The other teeth will crowd. Then the teeth on the bottom will take place of the one that's missing. And they're like, you're crazy. This is all bullshit. My dentist says you're nuts, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this, this dentist who spoke at this posture conference uh, uses a, an appliance. It's like a little mouth guard type thing that goes in the mouth. And the idea is it has a screw in it, and it basically, even once the skull is fully formed, the sutures of the skull that hold each, you know, the little wiggles that you see on a, on a cartoon skull, the sutures that join each different bone of the skull together, they're still mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of work like a tectonic plate. You know, it can, it can spring apart a little bit, and it can shear up and down um, on that wiggly line. And this Soma appliance, that Intel is using is it has a little screw and it actually spreads the pallet to, to drop um, the very roof of, of the hard pallet. Mm-hmm. So in spreading it out, the roof drops down and away from behind the nasal passage. And the idea is that if you can actually spread um, the pallet that the teeth grow out of, you don't need to just put some metal crap on it like uh, some braces or a retainer or whatever and try and pull the teeth into shape. Yeah, Because when you're just pulling them into shape, you're only really pulling them from their origin where, where they pull out, you, you're just changing their orientation on top of the skull. You're not actually changing it from within. That's right. So That's right. This is exactly what Dr. Boyd and I talked about. Yep. Yeah. So Yeah, he said if you're um, taking your kid to the orthodontist when he's eight or nine, sure, they're going to be able to straighten their teeth. He's like, but if you'd go a little earlier, change the shape of the mouth, the palate, and the face in the you know your mm. jaw bones and your cheekbones, then you don't need the orthodontics because the teeth will go where they're supposed to be. <laughs> exactly, they've got space. So. <coughs> yeah, there's a division of uh, osteopathic community that practice cranial osteopathy. You might have read about that somewhere, um, but really they only work with the movement of the bones of the skull, um, both for dental health and for um, well even brain health. Uh, I've had treatments from cranial osteopaths um, for a myriad of issues, perhaps a knee problem, and they'll work with your head. And the, the experience, I can't even, I can't even explain. But it's almost like a third eye opens in your head, <laughs> and there's this, there's this rush of crazy feeling that just flows through the entire body. And you walk out, and it's like, huh, knee pain gone. Didn't go anywhere near my knee. Yeah, it reminds <laughs> me of chiropractic in a way. If you go to a chiropractic session, sometimes all kinds of things can happen. Your nasal passages can open. Your nose might just explode. Um, Your knees might get weak. You might have blood going to places you'd never had blood. Mm. When I was a teenager, Mm. I went because they said I had probably had scoliosis. And uh, so I was seeing a chiropractor. He's like, you don't have scoliosis, but one of your legs is shorter than the other one. That's for sure. And I was like, what? 
He's like, yeah, come here. And he put me up against a wall and just marked my hip bones on the wall. Yeah. And he's like, look, your hips are out of alignment. It's throwing your back out. You don't have a disease. Yeah. You're fine. He gave yeah. me a half-inch shoe lift. And he said, just walk around like this for a while. And, like, everything kind of changed. Like, my shoulders were clicking different, and my head was a little mm. clearer. Everything just balances, yeah. Yeah, that was odd. Yeah, it's often the most simple thing, you know. We all want to overcomplicate it by giving it a fruity name, but... <laughs> right, right. At the, at the end of the day, you look at functional ideal and you look at how the person in front of you compares to functional ideal and you think, well, where is, where's the difference? And you can adjust the difference and, yeah, things just start to fall into line. As so Steel says on the sides. It sounds like your um, your work is very rewarding to you then. You really get some good results. Yeah, yeah. I mean, after 10 years, you find it. it's kind of pretty easy to see most issues. But uh, what we find is a lot of people come to the clinic after having been everywhere else and no one can fix them. And yeah. I guess um, people are looking at where the person experiences the pain and not distant to that. Um, so a good example is we're often looking at the feet because I don't know how many practitioners treat with the shoes still on mm-hmm. the patient um, your back's sore, I'm going to look at your back and maybe the pelvis. But you go down to the feet and the feet are collapsed. I mean, it's like repairing a crack in the plaster in your house a hundred times but never going under the house to see why it's happening. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the um, foundation, right. The foundation. So, you know, you, you, let's say it's a builder who spends uh, 80% of their day on their feet and they get a sore back at the end of the day. Well, you think, right, um, you've been lifting um, pieces of wood for so long, you're probably used to that and you're strong enough. Well, What's the difference? Oh, look at the feet. They're just splayed out. They look like pancakes. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's falling through the stump. We just need to do the restumping before we do the redecorating. Yeah, <laughs> and, I know. Uh, Even my, my mother, know. she complains. She thinks her health was ruined as a child because she had they were, she was forced into orthopedic shoes, which yeah. are the opposite of healthy shoes. They're yeah. these like monolithic blocks. Yeah. That they're like... <laughs> It's like walking with yeah. the cinder block shoe, you know, and you're all, and it's all bound and um, yeah. supported. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way we see it is the foot's the first spring, it's the first shock absorber. You don't want to be sitting that against the block. You want to be potentiating that spring as best you can. Um, yeah. They always hmm. talk about arch support, you know, for kids. Yeah. You must have arch support. It's like, wait a minute, all the bridges I've ever seen are strong yeah. because they have an arch. Everything yeah, long yeah. Every, has an arch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's not like giant foam <laughs> structures under all the arches in the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the more you look at this sort of thing from an evolutionary perspective, you just think, this, this is just retarded what people are saying. It's just so stupid. You know? It wouldn't be like that. You wouldn't be born and then develop an arch if it needed support. <laughs> right. And it's still, it's still considered like kind of woo. Like I, you know, I talk about, you know, letting the kids go barefoot and stuff and people like friends of mine are still on this arch support business and that's just funny. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it came about for starters and how it became so dogmatic that it's just taken for granted that that's how it is. But something happened. Yeah, they were talking a lot about it. I missed a lot of those, um, like, functional fitness-type um, seminars at AHS. I kind of skip them because I'm a, I'm a lazy guy, and I don't want to do fitness stuff. So, 
But yeah. um, I would peek my head in, and they often mentioned like all kinds of very common ailments are like plantar fasciitis and other things. These foot mm. problems can be relieved with you know, proper foot care and posture. Yeah, yeah. Movement. And uh, decreasing inflammation as a whole is a good one too. Yeah, yeah. A lot of plantar fasciitis that we see is sort of a combination of someone who's never used their foot like a foot, but their lifestyle is just abysmal. And, you know, the feet, going back to the fluid dynamics, the feet being so far from the heart, you have gravity working against that, plus the person's blood pressure could be over the, all over the place. You get a pooling of inflammation in the one spot that isn't working properly. Um, and an arch, I guess, when you walk, it, it splays and it contracts. So it works like a pump. Mm-hmm. So I think you get a combination of a, a weak foot that isn't working like a pump and an inflamed body, you're going to get plantar fasciitis, you know? So your systemic inflammation is going to pull at the furthest place from the heart uh-huh, without uh-huh. a pump. So, you know, these Neolithic shoes that you talk about, they're not encouraging the use of a foot as a pump. They're basically sitting it against something and eradicating the pump. Huh, interesting. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's like, yeah. wow, mm. look, the viewing the foot as, as, the, as, a, as a heart. Wow. Yeah, well, uh, you can view... Uh, You've probably worked, uh, done a bit of reading on the function of the diaphragm in pumping not only air in and out of the lungs, but also fluid to and from the extremities of the body. Um, a lot of osteopaths will look at there having been four diaphragms in the body. So you've got the arch being one, the pelvic floor, the thoraco, uh, thoracic diaphragm, and then one where the vocal cords are. And so all the actions of these diaphragms are working like a pump in sync. Hmm. Um, which is an interesting way of looking at the dynamics of fluids and um, pressure in the body as well. Yeah, usually to 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 if you want to look into like diaphragm breathing and posture, you got to go pretty far out into the web and find some real woo practitioners to suss out the good stuff. It's in there, but it's often wrapped in some a little bit of weirdness. But um. Yeah, it's but out I mean, there. It's just that it's just so it's just such uncommon knowledge. Your regular MD is not going to tell you about it. I my first exposure to it was that same guy, my kettlebell guy. He we did a qigong yeah. class and we'd sit on a chair and he would do this diaphragm breathing and it was really like animalistic, you know. And he yeah. would really try to express like the animal in people and he would talk about dragons and dragon breath and all this craziness, you know. And I was like, wow, this is wild. So I quit. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. I got to get the hell out of here before I <laughs> before I come alive. Start growing some wings and horns and shit. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't like that much life. <laughs> well, you know, the diaphragm breath is the default breath. You look at a baby lying on the floor, they've got this, this massive puffed out tummy. And um, it's not because they've just been on the breast all night. They're breathing into their um, into their abdominal cavity to create stability. So it's that pressure that the diaphragm creates in the intra-abdominal cavity that actually stabilizes our trunk on top of our pelvis, and that allows us to walk later on. Wow! Uh, so you know, the pressure in the body is extremely important. But I think with modern life, you know, you you put kids in a chair at age five as soon as they go to school, and they're in the chair for six hours a day, and um, they're taught silly things like if you're stressed, take a deep breath up into the top of the lung. 
far and away from where it should be for stability. And we start to decondition, I guess, the animalistic stability that we should have, um, which comes from proper breath. Um, I, I think as well, chronic stresses teach us to breathe into the chest. You know, everyone, everyone has probably experienced when they get a fright or they're stressed and they start to breathe high up into the chest in a, a gasp. It's like a safe mode way of breathing, but it's at the expense of stability, I think. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, Mark McGraw, Mark on Movement on Twitter, you would have seen me reference some of his yes. tweets. He, he comes up to the clinic and um, takes these classes with us, the barefoot class and um, and the stability class. And that, that breath and that postural stability are one in the same, you know. Um, without that trunk being a reference point for your limbs to work from, we've got nothing. Movement has to be inefficient without that. So the breath is, you know... It, it hey, Josh, you there? Hey, yeah. Yeah, cool. I think my modem, my modem died. Oh, okay. But you're back up. I'm back. Okay, cool. Sorry? We were talking about breathing, diaphragm, yeah, all that yeah. fun stuff. That was really awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's foundational to life in many ways, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> These are things we probably never had to learn or ever talk about historically. These are things that we just did naturally because of our movements, because of our lifestyles. And now... Yeah. We have to relearn how to do basic human things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the the guys to check out if you're interested in the way that that um, the stability works is the Prague School of Rehabilitation. Okay, yeah, I've heard, I've had several people tweet at me about that, yep. Yeah, yeah, it's very good stuff. Um, cool. DNS, calling it uh, Dynamic Neuromuscular Stabilization. Um and, yeah, it's all based on um, developmental kinesiology or the way the child goes in and out of certain positions um, in the first year of life in order to, I guess, it goes through pre-program, uh, pre-programmed programs in the central nervous system mm-hmm. that are dormant since birth. And we find that it happens across all cultures, um, regardless of whether you grew up in China or East Africa or Australia, all babies go through the same programs at the same stages of life. So... Um, there's something right about that, yeah, or real, yeah. sure. that isn't made up by um, humans, the way that Pilates is or something like that. So <laughs> I think if you can observe uh, observe that across all cultures, right. uh, and it's not a man-made idea, then it's probably right. Right, I thought we could uh, just spin our way to health. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Just get on a seat and spin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you are paleo osteo. So, what 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 did you discover in the paleo movement? You know, what did this fit um, the nutrition that you had been trained in? Was it a natural fit, or did you have to go a little further to discover some additional things there? Well, I think the way we're trained is very much, you know, the norm for the way they train a nutritionist or a, an MD or whatever. You know, it's all based on that. Um, in inverted commas, healthy diet of, you know, a high-carbohydrate, low-fat diet. So definitely not the way we're trained. But as I was saying before when I was a kid, thinking that nature must be the right way, it just fit what I'd always thought, that the way that people have always done this since before we came up with a healthy food pyramid, um, which once again is a man-made idea, the way that we've done it before that came about must have been more right than what it is now. Um so I guess it was just an extension of what got me into osteopathy in the first place. Hmm. Um, 
And so when I finally found that there was a paleo movement, it, it just clicked with me instantly. It wasn't so much of a seeking it out and, and thinking, oh, this sounds okay, um, I'll start to use this. It was, it gelled with the way I've always thought of health um, ever since I was a kid. So I guess finding this community of people and, and being able to share ideas only helped what I was already doing. Um, and I think I was talking about ways of moving one time at the clinic with a client um, and, and I was talking about nutrition and ways of moving and how we floated so far away from what once was the norm to our modern lifestyle now. And she said, uh, you know what you are? You're a paleo osteo. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this was before I'd found the, the paleo movement. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And so it had always been in the background of oh, my wow. brain. I thought, oh, that's a cool name. Maybe one day I'll use that. Um, you know, it, it has a nice ring to it. <laughs> and then I found this paleo community and I started thinking, wow, everyone else is on the same page. And um, I was still working under another name. And then I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to change this name because it's exactly what I'm doing. So uh, that became the name for the clinic. Oh, that's the name for the uh, clinic too. Wow, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. So, um, yeah, we have the big sign with the, um, you know, the arrowhead. <laughs> the stone yeah, tool. Yeah, it's wonderful. Which is my... It's a beautiful, um, excellent graphic design. A- absolutely. Yeah. I have to uh, thank my friend Claire for that. I, she's an awesome designer. I mean, with her, I, I said, I've got this idea. I want it to be a stone tool. Um, and then I just gave her keywords, you know, mm-hmm. um, just four words or something like that. And she came back with that first go. And um, she's saying, now, I've made it fragmented into pieces because osteopaths put the pieces together. And I've made it look like a stone tool, but blah, blah, blah. And I've used the triangle because the triangle's the strongest shape. And so it's a wow, bunch of triangles. Yeah. A lot of depth like, in there. Wow, that's an yeah. awesome designer. Yeah. I know. And uh, I was thinking about that because when I, when I did design at school, before I went to osteopathy, I thought a true designer must be able to work with keywords um, rather than just saying, show me something that you like and I'll make something similar which I had from so many other designers. Yeah. Um, and I thought, if you can take a concept and make it into a graphic, that's that's a good trait, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, she came up with the gold there. It's good. Yeah, that's really cool. It's funny because it's the cover of um, John Durant's new book, The Paleo Manifesto. I'm saying, yeah, you got a pre-copy of that, you bastard. Yeah, two, or <laughs> I think two now. I got a, the pre-copy and a copy. So I lent one to a friend <laughs> to let him read the finished copy. He's it's kind of, out now, yeah? Uh, well, soon. A couple days yeah. from now. 17th, I think. That's why I haven't been um, tweeting about it. I had, I was told to lay off. Because <laughs> when I got the pre-copy, I started tweeting up a storm, and John's like, no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. So, No one will want to read it. They already know the content. Right, right. <laughs> I'll tell you that yeah. AHS was, uh, it blew me away. And not because of the seminars. It was the community. Yeah. The community was yeah. uh, just robust health and mental sharpness. I talked, man, just in every sidebar little meetup we had with people, the conversations were wild. We covered every subject. Yeah, so that's what I found so fascinating. It was awesome. It's so stimulating to talk to people like that, isn't it? Like, I think the first... The first person I came into contact with through the net was um, Tori. Yeah, sure. And he said, I think it was around the time that last year's AHS was on, 
And so I was following all the tweets. And um, I said, I have to make it to next year. And he said, yeah, it's not even about the content. It's about the mingling. <laughs> yep. And uh, I thought, I yeah, agree. I can imagine. I, I strongly Goodness. agree. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I must send out a public apology for never giving you that $100 for your trip there. Oh, don't don't you worry about that. No. Uh, I, pro- right. I promised. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah. The community came through for me. I was able to do the trip. Um, I never mentioned it on my podcast or anything because I kept it all kind of separate. I didn't want to mix yeah, the well, two. It's all out there now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I meet, I've been meaning to talk about it, um, to do like a whole show about my little experiment there about fundraising through the community and what that meant to me and how much it meant. It was really, really blew me away. I couldn't believe people that don't even know me. No, I don't like almost no one that actually knows me sent me money. So yeah, how good. I want to make next year for sure. Try and make the trip over. Yeah. They're saying it might be in the Bay, San Francisco Bay area, which would be be so much better to go outdoors there than in Atlanta. Yeah, well, it must have been hot as. It it wasn't, well, actually it wasn't brutal, but it was rainy and gross, and you're yeah. just bound by the city anyway, so. Yeah. But um, I hear, the rumor is, you're a musician, or a producer, or, what is this? Yeah, um, that's, that's stuff outside of osteopathy, I mean, I've always done that sort of stuff, I, I played in a band when I was younger, like when I was at high school, um, now I make electronic music. Um, primarily, but yeah, that's that's what I do on my days off. Oh, that's cool. Clinic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where'd you get that from, Tori? Oh, there you go. Cause Tori's okay. Tori's deep into that. He he sends me all the cool music that I would have never ever ever heard of. So yeah, Tori keyed me in on that. You'll have to um, send me a track. We'll put it in the show. There you are. Yep. Hey, all right. Hey, so what I, was, what I was saying is you should uh, send me a track, and we'll put it in the show. Yeah. All right. You should write me some well, show music, too. New intro music. Okay. <laughs> all right. Give me keywords. All right, keywords, <laughs> and you'll design it. All right. I like that. Off you go. So let's do some uh, the typical parting wisdoms and things. What do people need to look into? Well, I mean, I think we kind of exhausted all, but it's just looking. I think people just need to look back into the old ways, and mm-hmm. like to me, even things like gyms seem ridiculous to me. You know, <laughs> it's like I, I sent a little, um, I guess, a meme type thing, like a little picture into my email, and it was this photo of a traffic jam. And it was saying the irony in this photo is that half these people stuck in this traffic jam are headed to a gym to go inside and ride a bike to nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. You know, things like this, it's like, why do we go to a room to go inside and do something when we can just go outside and run around or play or, you know, whatever. A lot of people talking about the lost art of play and all this sort of thing, but... Yeah, that's the the hot meme right now, play. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, in reality, it, it is what's missing, you know? Um, it's just being able to feel free and to go out and, and do this stuff. But exercise being seen as something you have to fit into your day in order to move, I just think is ludicrous. <laughs> so I think, I don't know, 
get out of modern life. <laughs> that's the only thing I can really say. Hey, I'm I'm on board. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's good enough. It's yeah. Away from modern life and this expectation that you have to be at work for a certain amount of time and then you have to do your gym and you know, I just think it's it's just so far and away from being human to me. Yep. So it's a bit like um Irwin's uh, stuff, the move net guy, you know? Yeah, Don't right, become a right. zoo. Step out and, and live. <laughs> And I think we could all be a lot healthier just for doing that. Cool. Um, and that basically sums up uh, the way we work at, at the clinic, you know. It's not just the nutrition, um, you know, as a paleo template, but just things in general. Just use your head. Yeah. Use your brain. Don't wait for someone to dictate to you what needs to be done. Just have it, think about it um, and put it into perspective. <clears throat> I love it. Thanks for your time, Josh. This was really great. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's nice to talk to you um, yeah. in real life. Yeah, of. it really, really was. Yeah, we'll um, send me some links and some music, and I'll put together a show. All right, man. All right. Thank you. Enjoy everything. All right. Good day to you. See you later. All right. Bye. Bye.